0: Good morning, everybody. We're so glad to see you. My name is Danny Rivers, and I'm one of the pastors around here at LifePoint. Uh, man, it's summertime, and I know folks are getting their last vacations in. Uh, I was in Colorado for two weeks with my family, and um, it was 54 in the morning and about 75 in the afternoon. Uh, I know it's going to be like December the 43rd before we feel that, but um, Anybody ready for summer to be over? I'm I'm ready. I'm ready for summer to be over as a pastor because folks go away from church in the summer and then in like late August they come back and I'm ready for that. And our kids go back to school. Can I get a witness on that? Anybody? Yeah. Um, We're so glad you're here. Thanks for being here. If you're a guest with us today, man, you always make a huge um, deal. It's a big deal for us to have you here um, with us. You could be anywhere else doing anything and you're with us, so that means a whole, whole lot to us. A Couple things before we dive into the message. And number one, um, you just heard it referenced, but we are uh, having 21 days of prayer every January, every August we do this. In January we have 21 days of prayer and fasting, and in August we have 21 days of prayer and feasting. Can I get an amen on that one? I like that one better, I'm not going to lie. But uh, we would love for you, starting next Sunday, just when you pray, we're going to give you some things that we'd love for you to pray about. We'd love to pray together as a church um, and then as you're praying, or if maybe prayer is not a normal part of your rhythm, that you'd make it a part of your rhythm just to see what God could do in your life through that and, and, and what he could do through you. Um, and then also uh, every Saturday during that, um, that time, that 21 days, there's three Saturdays we will be gathering for um, prayer during those Saturdays from 9 to 10 a.m., a little bit of worship. A, a short little like six, seven minute uh, devotion, and then a lot of prayer together, and it's always a powerful time and we would love for you, even if that's something you've never done before, like just come check it out and I promise you that you'll I, I believe you will I believe you'll love it and I believe you'll get a lot of a, a, out of it as well. And then all of that's going to culminate on our first Wednesday service, September the fifth, with a night of worship, um, just a, an incredible night of worship, and it's going to be awesome. The second thing I want to tell you about is our groups. We do small groups, and we call them life groups around here. They start in about a month. And over the next month, we'll be uh, asking folks who want to lead a group to come talk to us. And you, if, you, if that's you, if you're even curious or interested, um, you first of all can go to, um, to Growth Track today. That's happening right after this service, and you can learn more about groups there. But you can also just go to Next Step Central, and we'll be happy to follow up with you. You can give us your information and, and just tell you what it looks like. It's a really easy next step to lead groups. Uh, and if you don't know what group you're in or you don't want to lead a group, we're going to really focus in this fall on freedom groups. We, we introduced that last semester, and these freedom groups are for anybody, and it's really for everybody who has hurts and habits and hangups um, of life, things from your past. We wanna help, um, as, as we've been helped by this resource, um, to just see your life, get some freedom. And we've never done this before either. At the end of the freedom series, um, of those groups, we're going to join with two other churches in town, and we're gonna host a freedom conference It is going to be, I went through one this last, uh, in May, one of the most powerful things I've ever been part of. And so for those of you who don't know where to go or how to to plug in, check out the Freedom Groups. Last thing I wanna say, even though I said I was only gonna say two things, and this is a personal thing. I'm 46 years old. Uh, I grew a beard for, for the vacation, so I wouldn't get sunburned on my vacation, and, and my wife asked me not to cut it off yet. I'll cut it off tomorrow, hopefully, because it's really irritating me at this point. Um, and I know, so I'm, what I'm saying that is because I look older than 46, but I'm only 46. I look like a World War II vet at this point, but that's a, that's a whole other deal. But tomorrow, apparently, my dentist decided that I need uh, braces. Um, she said if I didn't have braces, I wouldn't keep my teeth till I was old, which I said, okay, well, sign me up for braces. So... I'm telling you that because next Sunday when I come in here with braces, I want you to laugh about that now, not at me on Sunday, right? Because um, then it'll be offensive. You see what I'm saying? So let's go ahead and laugh about the fact that Danny and his 11-year-old are getting braces at the same time. <laughs> um, yeah, there. So get it out of the way. Um, yeah, because next week you're gonna be like, why has he got a lisp? Or what, what's happening to it?" It's, I'll have braces. So anyways, it's going to hurt and it's going to be awful, but I can't wait. Anyways, I'm going to preach the word now. You guys ready? All right. Two of you are ready. Thank you for that. I feel very encouraged. Uh, We're starting a brand new series today um, called Made for This. And it's a series about the value and the priority of worship. Um, The beginning of every year, actually in October, November, we decide kind of what the series are going to be for the year. We pray about it and throughout the year we course correct, we adjust, we have a team that helps us do this. And we were supposed to start a new series today um, that was not this one. But while I was on vacation, just resting and reflecting and thinking, um, God, I think, began to lead me um, to talk about worship. And it was strange for me because normally in August, people start coming back to church, everybody scatters for the summer, start to come back. And, and, and you, so you, you do series that are attractive to people who don't know Jesus. And, and, and yet I felt God saying, hey, I want you to talk to the folks who go to church, who go to LifePoint about worship, and, and really this for me, and I'm just gonna be brutally honest with you, or, or rather transparent, I'm always honest. I'm gonna be transparent with you today. This is probably God leading me to, to reexamine my own sort of worship life. I, I, for 14 years, I was a student pastor, but at every church that I worked at, I worked at three churches. They would always make me, I, they hired me to be the, the youth pastor, but they would always make me be the worship leader. And so th- during those seasons where I was a worship leader, I, um, I have to be honest when I was, was sort of just examining my own heart and life that my worship was more pure in those days than I would say it is now. And that even, even choosing the songs that I, we were going to sing as a band on Sunday, I would spend hours praying through that and around that and, and I would just immerse myself in the scriptures. For, for surely the sake of that, if God said, I want you to say something after a song, that I would have this fountain from which to draw from the scriptures and, and, and to be quite honest, um, uh, for the last 10 years as we, uh, we started this church and, and, and all that is entailed that I, I've gotten caught up sometimes in the busyness of church and what we have to do. And I've gotten away from just that kind of purity of my heart uh, to worship God. And so here's how that looks. Probably God was saying to me, Danny, I want you to focus on worship. But I was like, well, um, while I'm doing that, I'm going to drag our church kicking and screaming along with me as you kick my rear towards worship. I'm not going to kick their rear, but I'm just going to. So bottom line is God's convicted me of this. It's not a condemnation thing. It's just a conviction thing. And so unfortunately, you're going to have to go with me on the right. Everybody with me? All right um, now. So and, and I'm very my, my heart is very full. I just came back from an amazing conference um, a, a church conference, and I'm rested and feel great. I'm fired up, and this talking about this because of the way God's dealing with me is, is is a little bit of an emotional thing. So if I get a little weepy, man, just give me a break. All right, everybody, give me a break. Pretend, just laugh at me. That'll be fine too. It'll be all good. Um, so Hebrews, if you have your Bibles, Hebrews chapter 13, Hebrews 13 verse 15. This is the key text for these three weeks of this series. Um, the writer says, through Jesus then. And, and by the way, every good thing in life, in your life will happen because you went through Jesus. Trust me on that. You just trusted Jesus in every aspect of your life. Through Jesus then, look at these words with me. Let us, how? You guys are quieter than the first service. Come on now, this is supposed to be the loud service because you're all energetic and ready to eat food. All right, anyways. <laughs> the more you preach with me, the, the quicker you get to go lunch. Uh, not really. <laughs> I'm gonna preach however long it takes. Anyways, um, through Jesus, then, let us continually offer a sacrifice of praise to God. And then he wants us to know what he means by that. That is the fruit of the lips that gives thanks to his name. So he's, he's describing, I want you to notice this, there's a two part um, and there's a two-part worship thing that he's doing here, teaching that he's doing in this one verse. The fruit of the lips would be the songs that we sing, the words that we say to God in praise and in worship when we're praying. Um, as you're driving down the road and you're singing a great song and you're, you're putting it out full on to God, that's the, fr- the fruit of the lips. That's what he's talking about, The gifts praise to his name. And then he says, secondly, and do not neglect to do uh, doing good and, and sharing with others for with such, what's the word? sacrifices God is pleased. In other words, that worship is not only what you say, but it's also what you do. That there is a, a lifestyle. And that's, a, that's a catchphrase that's been around. If you're a Christian, you've heard people talk and preach about the, a lifestyle of worship. But it's, this is what he's saying. That, that it's more than just the fruit of the lips, the songs that we sing. That there's also the way that we live is a sacrifice of worship to God. So I, I, there's many definitions I could give you for worship, and I'm probably going to give you another one in, in part three of this. But this, this is where I'm going today. Worship, having an intense passion or esteem for a person, for a place, or a thing. So worship is not always just a, a person to God. It can also be to a place. It can be to things. It, it, it is whatever you ascribe worth to. The old, the old English word was something like worth-ship. I don't, I don't think it's exactly like that, but worship, And it's just the idea that we're giving worth to something. Now, that's important that you remember that. W- worship is an integral part of who we are as human beings. Because God wired us up to worship, we were made for worship this we are wired for worship it's what we do it's who we are so right, right out at the outset of this series i want i want to throw out two big thoughts for the series they're not necessarily just about today but two big thoughts for the series number 1 is that worship is what everybody does everybody on this planet whether they're believers whether they're religious whether they're irreligious no matter what their status is their status is they are worshipers it is the activity of the human heart, and everybody on planet worships something. We're good at it, matter of fact. Number two, and I'll, I'll I'll break that down in a little while. Number two is that worship is not always defined by what we say, which is what we just read from the writer of Hebrews, but 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 more so, I would argue, by the way that we live and the things that we do. M- most of us would like to answer if I said, hey. Who do you worship? Most of us who are Christians, who are believers, and not everybody is here, and, that's, and we're glad you're here. Most of us would say, well, of course I worship God. Listen to what we just sang. I sang glory and praise and honor and power to, to him. And here I am to where I give you my life. I love you, God. We just said all those things. Of course I, I worship you. But listen, the thing is that we don't just say to God our worship, the writer said, we also live to God our worship so that, listen here now, so that when, we, when what we say to God or what we sing to God, when it matches how we're living, then it becomes this heartfelt expression of praise and worship to God. So the, the converse side of that is that if I'm singing these beautiful songs, but they're not true of my heart, then they are not a sacrifice of praise and worship. Does that make sense, everybody? You with me so far? All right, so when you start talking about worship, people tend to get off track almost immediately, especially religious people. It almost always comes back to, well, we go to this kind of church, and at our kind of church, you know we worship like this and we you know or at our kind of church we do the liturgy and and it's it's formal and the guys wearing a robe and he's got a collar and or at our church there's a, a choir and people are jumping up and down and and people are clapping it's very loud and and it always goes that but but the deal is is that worship is so much bigger than that right when you say worship people automatically assume you mean church you mean christians you mean religion in all of its various forms. But you need to understand that worship is not simply defined by going to church, clapping hands, singing. It's way, way more than that because worship is defined by what we say as human beings is worth something to us. When we place a value upon something, of high, high value, I value that I put worth on it. I put worth-ship on it. So when you boil worship down, it's all about what you value most and listen and your response to what you value most and all of a sudden when you think of worship in in, in those terms the, the playing field gets level because everybody does this this is what I value most and my whole person and all of my energies and efforts are aimed at this one thing and so in, in fact, I'm worshiping this thing now, or this person. People worship cars and and houses and their looks. Go to any gym. Can I get an amen? Right. Some of us are there to get a little workout, and some of us are there worshiping our bodies in the mirror because they can't stop looking away. Can I get an amen? Come on. Is it just me? Did you just notice this? Right. Like, like you may not literally see them bowing and giving reverence to them, but make no mistake. When you define worship as something that you give high value to. Everybody does this. And, and so, in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul, who wrote two-thirds of the New Testament, who was um, a Judaizer, he was uh, in, it's steeped in the Old Testament traditions, he was fighting against the church, he was fighting against Jesus and everything that he stood for, and he has this amazing moment where he becomes a Christian, and, and, and it's an incredible story, but he goes on and writes two-thirds. So he's a very smart guy, he's very educated, um, he said it. The Bible says it, at the feet of Gamaliel, who was one of the chief scribes and and Pharisees and the teachers of the law, and and so this guy is very, very, very smart. And and so one day he rolls up in this town called Athens. Athens, Greece is still there. It's still a place, obviously. But in his day and time, it was a very intelligent city, very well-cultured city. It was the place where everybody brought their best ideas to to share. Um, Kind of like the Bay Area of California, a lot of people, a lot of smarts, a lot of education. You got Stanford, you you got Silicon Valley. Very, very, very cultured. And so he comes in there. And as he's walking through Athens, he notices that there are these shrines and these altars and these idols to all of these various kinds of deities and gods. And, and he's walking through and he's, and he's seeing them and, and, and he gets to the end of the sort of row of the gods. And at the very end of the row, there's an, there's an, an idol, there's an altar rather, there's an inscription on the altar and it says, like, it's like a, in case we missed one. You know what I'm saying? Like, we got all these idols, all these gods, all these shrines. But in just in case we missed one, we don't want anybody of them to get offended and sort of smite us. Come on, lightning bolt us to death. So they, they make an, a shrine, an altar to the, the unknown god, they call him. And, and, and it was kind of this double-edged sword. Like, like, on the one hand, it was clearly an effort to make sure that they're just covering all their bases and that maybe they're thinking, you know, we don't want to miss anybody. We don't want to get anybody mad. Um, but on the other hand, perhaps there is something else going on that they're, they're going like in the, in, in, in the, in the row of idols and in all the shrines that we have in our various places around the city. Um, we've got some really good ones, but it feels like something's missing. So, someone is missing and, 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 and so Paul is going to respond to what he's seen there, and he's going to talk to them about the unknown God that they've, they've got there. And so, so he says in Acts 17, verse 22, he says, Paul then stood up in the meeting of the Areopagus and said, and by the way, the Areopagus was this place where all of the, the scholars and all of the philosophers would come and debate their ideas. Everybody, the freshest, coolest ideas in all of the Roman Empire, they would come to the Areopagus in Athens, and they would debate these things. And so Paul is there, he's very, he, he very much fits in with all this, the intelligentsia that are there. And he says, in the, uh, he says, men of Athens, I see that in every way you are very religious. For, for as I walked around and looked carefully at your objects of worship. Now notice what he's not saying. He's not saying, hey, you're a bunch of Christians, you go to LifePoint. LifePoint didn't exist, come on somebody, it's only 10 years old. But but, but they're definitely He's, what he's saying is you're all very, you're, you're all worshipers. Every one of you guys are worshipers. They're scholars, they're, they're philosophers, they're, they don't believe in God necessarily. They have a million kinds of gods, but he's saying, hey, hey, but you're worshipers. He, he goes on, he says, I even found an altar with this inscription to an unknown God. Now he's gonna break it down for him. Now what you worship as something unknown, I am going to proclaim to you. The God who made the world and everything in it is the Lord of heaven and earth. And he does not live in temples built by your hands. And we're going to talk about that next week. And, and, and he is not served by human hands as if he needed anything because he himself gives all men, like not just the ones who believe in him, not, not just the, the, the deeply religious people. He says he gives all men, every person who's ever lived, he gives them life and breath and everything else. From one man, Adam, he made every nation of men that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the, the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. And look at this. He, he did all of this so that men would, what? Seek him, seek him. And perhaps reach out for him and find him, though, though he is not, look at this, though he is not far from any one of us. And then he says, for in him we live and move and have our being. Now, as a preacher, like, this is incredible. Like, with this mini-sermon, Paul wins the preaching prize for all time. Come on, everybody. This is amazing what he's doing right here and how he's doing it. He says to these these learned men, these these intelligent men, listen, I I noticed this inscription to this unknown God, and I want to tell you that that, that God, the one that you've, you thought you missed, he, he's the one that created the heavens and the earth and has given life and breath to every man and, and he set the times and the seasons of our lives and he's put us at various places on the earth, at various times on earth's history and, and he, but he's put it inside of every one of us this, this eternal, internal search engine that causes every human being to sort of press outward looking for something of high value, something to give worth to. And, and, and the literal translation of, of, of seeking out that he puts in here, it literally means to grope around, to, to, to sort of grope. I don't know, this morning I did this where you wake up in, in early in the morning or in the middle of the night, and you don't want to turn the lights on to wake anybody up, and so you're just praying that you don't slam your toe into something or jam your shin, anybody know what I'm saying? Like we had this door, but it was so dark. I knew I thought the door was open, but I, I kind of just had to feel because I didn't want to run face first into the door. And, you know, something terrible would come out of my mouth and my wife would wake up and be like, what? You know, anyway, so I'm just feeling my way. And this is the, the very idea that, that Paul is getting at with these guys. That, 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 and, and the words that he uses... God did this so that men would seek him and, and reach out for him. And so he's, he's kind of got this idea that people are groping, looking, feeling their way all along. But like they have this sense inside of them. Even, even these guys, even these intel, this intellectual group of people, that there's this groaning in their hearts that there's this, and, and their souls to reach out to God from creation to creator. There's, there's a longing within us to know him to embrace him, to find him, to worship him, him in our lives. And, and everyone you know is in the process of that very thing. Everybody. I don't care how, how anti-God they are. Everybody you know is in the process of that. Because in the process of trying to find him, people get a long list of idols. And most of them would tell you. But I still haven't found. Remember that one. What I'm looking for. Little you too anybody? Okay, just me. All right, you guys are really quiet today. All right, um, making me a little nervous. Um, I, I got a lot of stuff. I've learned a lot. I've got a lot. I've, I've, I've got a lot of accolades. I've acquired a lot of stuff that I place value on, but none of it is giving me that sort of soul level satisfaction. Something else is out there, and I'm trying to satisfy myself. And this is what Paul is saying to these guys. Listen. You got all this long list, but down here at the end, you got, I still haven't found what I'm looking for. And this guy, this God, has put this in you. This is the reason you have this long list of idols, is because you're looking, you're groping, you're trying to find it out. And on the surface, it would seem kind of harsh that God would say to people, Hey, I want you to sort of grope around blindly in the darkness looking for me. Just feel around blindly through the universe and hopefully you find me. It'd be tough if he said, look for me because I'm far away for you, so good luck with that. But he says, no, I'm close. That perhaps if you would even reach out just a little bit, you'll find me. You'll bump into me because while you're looking for me, I'm looking for you. Because I'm right here. If you just reach with your heart even just a little bit, you'll, you'll find me. Because at the end of the day, and this is what Paul is getting at, the... The activity of the human heart is to find something of worth and to give value and to worship that. And we are great at that as a people, as human beings. We are incredible worshipers, all of us. The problem, of course, is the object of our worship isn't always right. But every one of us is wired for worship. Go to any museum that, that has anthropological type things in it. Every museum, every ancient civilization, objects of worship. Why? Why? Nobody taught them that. Nobody told them that. They automatically all go looking for somebody to worship. We all do this. So, so the question then is, is, why does worship matter? Why, Danny, are you taking this when we could talk about something else? Why would you talk about a deeply religious thing like worship? On a Sunday thing. Well, I'm gonna give you two reasons today and a few next week as well. I'm gonna just do two parts of this. Number one, and chiefly, is because God is worthy of worship. Thank you for that one amen. God is worthy of worship. The first reason has nothing to do with me and you. It's not about us. It's not about what we get out of it. God is worthy. The first reason that it's important to me, why God is calling me back to a heart of pure and sort of unadulterated worship is because he's worthy. It's why it matters to us at LifePoint. It's a priority of the scripture because He is a worthy God, and he deserves praise from all cultures and all nations, and he is a worthy God. And that's why worship, first of all, should move up our agenda list. You know why it's important for us to understand this? Because every time we get a glimpse in the Bible, whether it's in the Old Testament or in the New Testament, whether it's in Isaiah 6, where Isaiah said, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Or, or whether it's in the, the book of Revelation where John the Revelator has this revelation, whenever we're allowed to take a peek at what's going on wherever God is, every time we get a, pre, a glimpse into the presence of God, guess what? Room temperature is always worship. There's always a song. There's always an anthem. There's always angels crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God almighty and worthy is the lamb because in God's presence, he is worthy at all times throughout all of history of praise and worship. And every time you get a glimpse, it unfolds two realities for us. Number one, there is what you and I see with our, with our eyes, what we hear, what we can sense with our senses. That, that's what we can see. But then there's, the, there's God's reality, who he is, and, and, and what he's doing. And, and, and if we get deceived by thinking that all that there is to this world and this life is what we can see and hear and feel, then we are going to miss the ultimate reality. And that's what matters to God. And that's what's going on in his world and in his presence, a place where, frankly, there is no day, there is no night, there are no limitations. And right now, right now in this moment, worship is going on. At some point at the end of the day, you and I are gonna get tired at the end of, the, of our pursuits and our goals and our missions and our dreams and all the stuff that is important to us. And after we finish that last phone call and after we write that last email and we flip that last channel and we get in between the sheets and put our head on that pillow at night and we finally fall off, worship will still be going on in the presence of God all night long, 24-7, never ending. It's always been that way. It's always going to be that way. In fact, John, the revelator the last book of your Bible, in Revelation, um, the Revelation, John says in Revelation 5, then I looked... Verse 11. And I heard the voice of many angels numbering thousands upon thousands and 10,000 times 10,000. That's a lot of angels. Can I get a witness? Somebody they encircled the throne. And then there's these living creatures. I don't know who they are. And there's some elders and in a loud voice, all of them, like the biggest choir in history are singing worthy is the lamb who was slain to receive power and wealth and wisdom and strength and honor and glory and praise. And then he said, I heard every creature in, heaven and on earth and under the earth and in the sea and, and what was going on the sea and all of them singing like like this is a pretty happening choir everybody this is bigger than michael jackson this is bigger than you two and taylor swift and all of them together like we've never seen anything like this before and he, and they're singing to him who sits on the throne and to the lamb be praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever Why is everybody singing this song? Because he's a worthy God. Now, I'm not sure what your perspective is or what your background is, but in that place, wherever God's at, it's pretty clear that everybody knows our God is worthy of praise and honor and glory and power forever and ever. Amen. told you I'm going to be a little intense today. Those of you who are guests with us, you're like, he's kind of loud. I'm not normally loud. Today I'm loud because he's worthy. Somebody, amen. amen. Reason number two of maybe five or six, but two only today. So you can, you can rest. You're like, what? Relax. Reason number two I've already given you. And that is this, because why worship matters, because you are a worshiper and nobody's exempt and nobody can sort of check not me I don't want to worship God I don't want to worship anything because everybody is worshiping something it's not a Christian thing it's not a religious thing it's just a fact and worshiping God has to move up your priority list and if you are have been like me where where you are even working for God in my case but sometimes the object of worship still gets wrong Because I'm trying to build some kind of little kingdom sometimes in my own life, and I'm trying to make some somebody something famous about myself. Like, like you're like, oh, he just said that out loud. So are you. You do it every day of your life. We all do this. We all want to have significance. And sometimes that gets out of order. Like there's nothing wrong with ambition. There's nothing wrong with wanting to feel significant. But when I put that above God, you see, that's a problem. And everybody's gonna worship something because you were made for this. And all of us were, here's what I want you to understand. All of us were created not only by God, but we were created for God. You you see what the difference is? Like when you, you build something at your house, you build it for yourself. Maybe it's a chair. Not only is it created by you, but it's created for you. And you're like, hey, everybody, don't sit in my chair. I made that. Or maybe you just bought the chair and you're like, kids, don't touch my chair. I'll jack with you if you do. Come on. It was by you and it was for you, right? When I go to the store, I get a drink and I say, does anybody want to drink? And they're like, no, we'll just have some of yours. I'm like, no, you will not have some of mine. This is by me. I poured it. It is for me. You will not have some of it. Come on, give me an amen, somebody. I'm Am not the only selfish person in the house today, right? And so God's, God wants us to know that not only are you created by God, because we can all get on board with that, but we're created for God. And so then we have this internal um, worship mechanism that we can't turn off. I don't care if you're like, well, I'm very, very reserved. Well, you're worshiping something. Maybe you're worshiping reserved. Come on, somebody, right? There's something in us that will always look to find something to worship. We were wired for worship, and we will worship something. We have no choice. We will give of our time and of our energies and of our resources and our passions. We will set something above other things in our life and we will worship that thing that is most important to us. Everybody does this. And when we do that, our lives will wrap around the value and the glory of that thing or that person. Everybody does this. Maybe you're thinking, well, no, you know what? I'm not a worshiper, man. I'm not even a Christian. I'm an atheist. We have atheists come here all the time and they're always, you're welcome if that's you today. Or I I just come to church because I want to get my lady off my back because she's been griping at me to come. Or I wanted to come because I heard they had free donuts. I don't care why you're here, right? And you're like, but I don't worship anybody. I'm I'm my own guy. Yeah, I'm sorry, but you do worship somebody. You do worship something. Everybody does this. Everybody has a throne in their hearts, in their lives. And something or someone is sitting on that throne. Everybody's bending their hearts and wills and their time and their value around something. And, and here's, the th- here's the deal if this is my throne, I can tell you this is my throne, and I can tell you who I believe is on my throne. But here's the thing it's not what I say is on my throne. I can tell you about my throne, but you know what you're gonna find about my throne and who's on it? Is that I'm going to leave a little trail of my time and my energy and my money, and my thought life, and the, and, and the amount of time that I spend being consumed. And when you, get to the, when you follow the trail of my life, at the end of the trail, something or somebody's going to sit on the throne. And I could, I'd love to tell you, oh, of course it's God sitting on my throne. But I don't say my worship as much as I live my worship. And the thing about it is, is when you get to the end of some people's Throne, you, and when you get to the end of your own throne, your own trail, at the end of the throne, on the throne is somebody or something, and it could even be you. After all, we do live in a selfie generation. I'm not sure if ever in, in the human, hu, human history, and I believe I've only lived for 46 years in it, but I'm, never, I'm, I'm not sure we've ever had a generation so consumed with self as this one, right? You, you have to know this, right? So, some, some of you are going to go to the end. Uh, And sitting on the throne is, is, is frankly your education or success or your house or your careers or your achievements or your hobbies or your car. And and I'm not here to crack on any of those things at all, but you got to realize what it is that you value most. That's where your worship is going. And and this is most valuable to me by how much time I spend. Like, I want to tell you how much I love God, but that's not how you evaluate worship. Worship is played out on the field. Right? It's not your words that tell us what you worship or, or me or you what I worship. It's, it's your way of life and my life if you hung around me very long. Eventually, no matter what you think of me, you would discover what it is that I worship truly. Even if I'm doing it obliviously, like I don't even know that I'm doing it. It could be your job, it could be money, it could be anything, but the way that we know where our affections lie is, is not by what we say or even what we sing, but by what we do. And, and if our worship is not to God, it's wasted worship. And can, can, can I tell you why I feel so convicted around this personally? Is, is that the tragedy is that, that I and, and that you would spend our entire worshiping lives because we're all worshipers, giving honor to something, giving honor to someone less worthy than God, that we would waste our worship that, because everybody is going to worship something. This is why. When, when God gives out the Ten Commandments, you'd think he would start with, he would roll up and start with, thou shalt not cheat on thine taxes, or thou shalt not steal thy neighbor's cat. Like, like that's ever gonna happen. Come on, somebody. But he wants a cat. Anyways, um, sorry, cat lovers. Um, the devil goes around like a roaring, what? Cat, that's all I gotta say. I'm leaving it alone right there. But this is not what he does first. He comes in and he starts out by reminding everybody that Number one, I'm God. I want you to know that. He, he gives a summary of their most important teaching, Deuteronomy 6, verse four. It says, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God. The Lord is, what? Is one. Love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength, heart, soul, Strength. That's, that's a lifestyle of worship. That's what he, we've been learning all along. And, and then he says, these commandments that I give you today are to be upon your hearts. Don't, don't forget them, he's saying. Don't, don't get so caught up in, in the sway and the, and the pull of the world that you forget the thing that matters most. I, I'm one God. I'm not a, there's not a plurality of gods. There's, there's not a list of idols. There's only one God don't forget that, and you're supposed to love with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your strength and, and with all of your might, and this becomes the core of their teaching as, as, the, as the nation of Israel. This is the core, this, these two verses right here, and that's why when the attorney comes to Jesus in the Gospels and says, hey, Jesus, what's the greatest commandment? Jesus doesn't have to go, well, let me think about that for just a little bit. Let me see if I can gather the disciples together, see if we can come up with a consensus for that. No, he just bursts out. Love God with all of your heart and soul and mind. That's the greatest, first and greatest commandment, he says. It's the priority of worship. It's why worship matters. Look look what he says in in chapter five. This is the chapter before. He's about to reiterate the Ten Commandments. And most of us are thinking, well, here he goes. He's going to drop the ten things that we have to do if we're going to be Christians. And if we do anything, he's going to ruin our joy parade. He's going to tell us all the things we can't do because we can't do all these things. But listen, this is how he starts the whole deal. Verse six I am the Lord your God. I am the Lord your God. Just a little reminder, nation of Israel, people coming out of Egypt, in case you forgot, who brought you out of Egypt, because this is long after he's done this, out of the land of slavery, right? He begins this whole thing by saying, um, excuse me, by the way, um, I'm God, and, and do, you remember, do you remember the bondage that you were just in for 400 plus years, the nation of Israel had been slaves in Egypt, making their bricks, making their bricks for all of their, 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 their statues and their pyramids. This is, the, this is one of the slave nations that was responsible for all the stuff, some of the stuff you still see there now. R- remember the bricks? Remember when you, they made you make more with less materials? Remember you didn't have a home or, or a nation? Remember the oppression? Remember you had no future, no hope? Remember the tyranny of the, of the Pharaoh? Remember those days that you didn't didn't have a home, a nation, you couldn't worship? Remember remember I brought that Moses dude in? He had a little speech thing going on. Remember how he brought you out? Remember the Red Sea? You got to it. It looked hopeless and dark and grim, but then he stretched out his, his shepherd's staff over the water, and all of a sudden it rolled back. Incredibly, and you walked through. You didn't even have to walk through on mud. You walked through on dry ground. And, and just when you were through, Pharaoh's army came behind trying to recapture you. And I closed all that water in on them and all those guys went down. Remember that? You went out in the desert and it was dry and you said, we're starving. And I gave you some manna. You want some, you want some fire at night to warm you up? You want some fire at night to give you some light? You want a pillar of cloud by day to guide you through the, through the desert? Cool. You want water to come out of a rock? I got you. You you wanna wear the same clothes and same shoes for 40 years and never run out so you don't have to go to Dillard's or TJ Maxx or or Old Navy, cool. You you wanna march around Jericho, that most well-defended fortress city, that thickly walled city in the world at the time and I'll make it collapse, you want all that, cool. By the way, all of that, that was me. I am the Lord, your God, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. He, he didn't come up there and say, oh yeah, by the, by the way, I'm God. I'm about to make your life miserable. I'm about to take all the privileges away. No, remember Egypt? Remember coming out? That was me. How could they forget that? As you read their story, they forgot it again and again and again. But it'd be like if I had cancer and somebody came up to me and said, dude, I got a cure for you. Take this and you're good. And oh, by the way, and then, then I take it and I'm good. And oh, by the way, here's a million bucks so that you'll be comfortable the rest of your life. Like, am I going to forget that guy? Not so much. How could they forget him? How could they they take and and, and take little foreign gods, little idols, and and, and set them up? How how can I take a a little God of success, a little God of money, a little God of it's all about me, and set that up above God when this God brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage? How do you forget that God? Verse six, I am the Lord, your God, who brought you out of, the, out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. Somebody does that for me, I'm gonna do whatever he wants. I'm gonna follow him wherever he wants me to go. You shall have no other gods before me, he says. It makes me sort of sad as a person that God would have to tell me that. No, I wasn't in Egypt, but I was in sin. I, had, I never had to make bricks, but because of my sin, I was headed for a Christless eternity. And Jesus Christ in love and in mercy opened the door to me to have everlasting life and he forgave me of all of my sins, past and and present and future. And God has to come to me and say, Danny, on my vacation, come on, bro. Come on back over here. Don't don't have any other gods besides me. And, And then secondly, he goes on and says to the people, You shall not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on the earth beneath it or in the waters below. You shall not bow down to them or worship them for I, the Lord, your God, I'm a jealous God. And he should be, right? He breathed the breath of life into my mouth. He created me for his pleasure, for his purpose. And I am walking, I don't know about you, but I'm walking on this planet and I'm taking up this very small space here for the pleasure of the creator who initiated my very being. And just like the stars, glittering in the night sky that that, that are orbiting the galaxies. I was made for his glory and I was made for his praise. And he doesn't need my praise to make him more godly. But somehow in in the economy of God, he desires my worship and my worship adds to the anthem of the praises of everybody else in, in the world. And that's why I was made. Don't bow down, he goes and says, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third, fourth generation of those who hate me. That sounds kind of harsh, except for the comma. But showing love to a thousand generations of those who love me and keep my commandments. God starts out this whole thing by saying, you're going to worship something. And the best thing I can tell you is don't worship anything less worthy of your life than me. You see, you and I, because we were created by God and for God, we were created with a destiny that's as big as God imagines for us. You you were not created to sort of bump around through this life, to just go from one meaningless thing to another, to sort of eke out a, a meager existence, to sort of barely make it through every day to have a bad attitude towards life, to feel frustrated all the time and down all the time and always kind of wondering what's happening and why doesn't my life count and why doesn't my my life matter. You and I were created with a huge destiny because our lives are the very invention of God himself. And when we choose to worship with our time and our energies and our talents and our funds and and all of our, our, our passion, when we choose to worship something less worthy than God, we abandon our destiny. And instantly, we reduce our lives and we shrink them into something less significant than God designed them to be. Worship matters because you are a worshiper and because you are going to worship something. And I, for one, maybe it's just me, have gotten this wrong in my own life. And God's saying, come on, Danny, come on back on back to the heart of worship. It's not about how many people show up, Danny. It's not about you. It's not about your building. It's not about any of that stuff. It's about me and you, Danny, and the heart of worship.